everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Taiwan Security Review, brought to you by the Global Taiwan Institute. My name is Alex Gray. I'm going to be your host as we explore Taiwan security topics, topics related to U.S.-Taiwan relations, Taiwan's role in the world, and how Taiwan fits into the Indo-Pacific in the 21st century. Before we dive in with our first guest, Matt Pottinger, served as Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and, and what we're going to try and accomplish on this podcast. Uh, I had the privilege of serving in government for the majority of my career, most recently as Chief of Staff at the National Security Council, and before that as the first person ever to serve as Director for the Pacific Islands and Indo-Pacific Security. In that role, I had the ability to uh, travel around the Indo-Pacific to meet with our partners and our allies and to gain what I think is a pretty unique perspective on one, what does U.S. strategy look like in the region going forward? And two, and more pertinently for this podcast, how does Taiwan fit into an evolving U.S.-China competition and an evolving Indo-Pacific in the 21st century? And that's what we're going to cover in this podcast. We're going to talk to people like Matt Pottinger. We're going to talk to former senior level officials. We're going to talk to uh, voices from other Indo-Pacific countries who have unique perspectives on where Taiwan sits and how Taiwan is going to be navigating the challenges ahead. Uh, as we discuss these topics, it's important to keep in mind that uh, the relationship between the U.S. and Taiwan has evolved tremendously in the last couple of years. And we're going to be taking a look uh, through some of our, our upcoming episodes at just how that has happened, how that's evolved, the changes we've seen in the last four years, and, and where are we going now? What, what direction is the Biden administration going to take the U.S.-Taiwan relationship? And what does it mean for Taiwan's broader regional role? So I look forward to being your host and taking you on some what I hope will be fascinating discussions with the people who've shaped and are shaping U.S.-Taiwan relations and playing an instrumental role in Taiwan's uh, place in the Indo-Pacific. So we are joined now by Matt Pottinger, who served uh, until January as the Deputy National Security Advisor at the White House. Uh, previously, he had been Senior Director for East Asia at the National Security Council and has a, a fascinating background going back to being a Wall Street Journal reporter in, in Asia in the 90s and early 2000s, and also served as a Marine Intelligence Officer. Um, but Matt, I think, is, is probably most well-known for being one of the chief architects of the uh, previous administration, the Trump administration's approach to, to China policy and to the Indo-Pacific writ large. So we're, we're very honored to have you here with us, Matt. Hey, Alex, it's great to be with you again. Um, you know, you're, you should be talking about your own bio because you, <laughs> you played a, such a critical role in, in our whole Indo-Pacific strategy. You were, you were the first director ever in National Security Council history to, uh, to focus on, uh, you know, the, the Pacific Islands region, uh, you know, viewing, viewing that as, a, as so crucial in its own right and, and not just an afterthought as part of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, some, some broader portfolio. And so, uh, so it's, it's great to uh, be talking to you again. Well, I, uh, I appreciate it. And uh, that actually the Pacific islands are a major part of, uh, of what we're going to talk about today, which is, uh, which is, you know, their, their 
relationship with Taiwan, but we're going to talk more broadly about Taiwan policy and and U.S. relations with Taiwan, um, which which kind of leads me off uh, with with this. You know, for too long, I, in my opinion, U.S. China policy, Taiwan has been considered a component of U.S. China policy by too many folks in Washington. Um, I know you've always rejected that view, but would you just talk a little bit for us how the U.S. and our policymakers should be viewing U.S.-Taiwan policy and, and maybe put it in the context of some of the broader trends with China that you're watching right now? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's uh, I, I just noticed our old colleague, uh, Ray Green, uh, who's just wrapping up his tour as the deputy director of, our, of, of AIT, uh, you know, the American Institute in Taiwan. And he's a great officer. He's, I, I knew him when I was a Marine in Okinawa. Uh, you know, a long time ago, and he, he was our consul general there. But he 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 put it well, I think, in the remarks that he gave, um, uh, you know, just a couple days ago when he was talking about Taiwan, and, and he said that you know every, everything when when he was in Taiwan, uh, you know, two decades earlier, everything uh, was about how Taiwan fit into uh, the U.S.-China relationship, and and now you know it, we're treating. The relationship with Taiwan as as uh, as a really multifaceted and extremely important relationship in its own right. So of course, of course, it factors into the U.S. China relationship, but it's also a, a lot more than that. And uh, I think I think we saw that uh, sort of sort of the importance of Taiwan um, in on full display over the course of 2020 when it when it was the best. You know, Taiwan's government handled the the COVID outbreak better than any government in the world, uh, and also did a lot to help us at a time when, you know, the the People's Republic of China was was threatening to withhold um, basic uh, supplies to the United States, uh, like like uh, masks, face masks. Um, Taiwan uh, took some political risk uh, to. Uh, you know, at a time when they weren't really exporting masks, they, they went out of their way to, to send us millions of masks uh, that that uh, went into our national stockpile. And, uh, you know, that, that those were the masks we used at the White House. <laughs> it's, it's also masks that were used, uh, you know, in hospitals around the country. Yeah. And, and I want to come back to Taiwan's role as a, as a leader in the pandemic. But but before we, we do that, I'd be curious, you know, one of the, I think, one of the achievements um, that that you know, I'm most proud to have played a, a small part in, and, and you were a leader on, along with Ambassador O'Brien and Secretary Pompeo, and folks like uh, General Stilwell at State and Allison Hooker at, at the White House, was the the Indo-Pacific strategic framework that was declassified at the end of the Trump administration, and, and you know that really laid out a broad view of of what our perspective should be on the region writ large. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you see Taiwan fitting into that framework and, and how you conceptualize Taiwan in the process of, of putting that together. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we really thought about Taiwan as one of our key partners in the Indo-Pacific region, which is um, the, the, the region that um, uh, you know, you know, makes up half of the world's population, uh, if not more, uh, it's where most of the the economic growth is, and and that's not <clears throat> that that's increasingly not on mainland Asia in in uh, in 
mainland Northeast Asia, it's increasingly actually the maritime uh, regions of, of the Indo-Pacific. It's Southeast Asia. That's where the demographics are most favorable. It's where uh, in, we're, we're, we have increasingly um, significant trade and investment ties. Uh, it's, it's in India, which, which is both mainland and maritime, you know, Asia. And, uh, and Taiwan's just, uh, you know, any way you look, slice the geography, uh, or any way that you look uh, functionally at the region and its importance to the United States, Taiwan is right kind of in the middle. Um, and so, so we thought that it made sense to, to think about Taiwan uh, in, in those terms. It's, it's one of our largest trading partners, even though, even though there's only, whatever, 23, 24 million people um, on that island. Um, it, it is a, a key partner in health. It's, it's, an, it's a key partner in law enforcement. It's a key partner in, um, in the Pacific Islands region and also in terms of, uh, you know, um, high quality development assistance around the world. So they, they, they were a great partner for the four years that I was at the White House. Um, they were one of the most reliable interlocutors uh, that I had. And, you know, I, I think one component of, of a larger Taiwan strategy that, that I know you played a, a very significant role in and, and was one of the, the, I think, hallmarks of the new kind of approach that was taken in the previous four years and seems to have some, some life into the new administration was a relook and a rethink at the defense component of the U.S.-Taiwan relationship, and that that was everything from the type of arms sold, but but also thinking about you know the the euphemism at some think tanks and folks is the porcupine strategy for how Taiwan should defend itself. I wonder if if you could talk a little bit about how you saw um, Taiwan's defense needs and the role that that the U.S. needs to play and and should be playing in in that process. Yeah, <clears throat> so. I mean, it's important first to realize why Taiwan's defense is important to the United States. That that is to say, it's important that Taiwan, you know, that 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 you know, Taiwan be the master of its destiny, and and that it be able, you know, Taiwan should be able to um, to talk with uh, its neighbors, talk to Beijing. Uh, on its terms and, and not be coerced into, um, you know, a future that, that uh, the people of Taiwan um, w- would not want. So for, for the United States, it's, it's really that, you know, if Taiwan were to be, um, you know, coercively uh, subjugated, uh, you know, what, what you'd be looking at is, uh, you know, major impact on, on, you know, from an economic standpoint, on the semiconductors and microelectronics supply chains of the world, and everything is built on on, on semiconductors. You know, all of the key technologies of the 21st century. If you're talking about synthetic biology or 5G or machine learning, you know, all of these things are built on semiconductors. So that that would be major. Uh, it would it would undermine the credibility of the United States as an ally and military partner in the Western Pacific if Taiwan were um, you, you know invaded. Um, uh, I think it would lead to nuclear proliferation as other countries around the region would would begin to uh, grasp for alternatives to the extended deterrence uh, of the U.S. nuclear umbrella. Um, it, it would 
you know, cause a, a serious threat to democracy in not only for for Taiwan itself and for China, but really, you know, it would start to to cause panic uh, in other parts of the region in ways that that uh, you know, in Korea, in Thailand, Indonesia, Japan, uh, that could be really detrimental to uh, a more liberal um, and prosperous order that has benefited the region for for many decades now. So. You know, there's no question that um, that it's it's a it's a matter of significant, even grave, uh, as as our Taiwan Relations Act states. It's a matter of grave uh, concern to the United States um, uh, if uh, Taiwan were to be um, uh, attacked militarily or coercively annexed, and so forth. So, so what does that mean in terms of a strategy for? You know, it, it means it means things for both us and for Taiwan. For Taiwan, it means um, doing some of the things that 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 they have begun to do. You talk about a porcupine strategy. They've talked about an over what the, they term an overall defense concept that tries to incorporate more asymmetric capabilities that would, um, uh, in you know, really really complicate Beijing's uh, war plans. Um, they need to spend a lot more than they're spending. If you look at the, if you look at the defense spending, uh, you know, any way you cut it, it's not a pretty picture. You know, the trend line is not a good one for Taiwan. It's, it's actually been shrinking as a percentage of GDP. Um, the, the overall amount that they've been spending on defense is uh, woefully insufficient, especially when you compare it to the skyrocketing uh, defense expenditures of China, which... Um, uh, you know, China spends more than the rest of Asia combined on, on its defense. It's not commensurate with uh, with with their uh, you know stated uh, foreign policy principles and so forth. Uh, and for the United States, it means that we've got to really uh, you know also expand funding uh, and and focus on really credibly deterring China from coercing Taiwan by military force. And and that means. You know, actually implementing the 2018 U.S. strategic framework uh, for the Indo-Pacific that you that you referenced, as well as the national defense strategy uh, that came out in uh, also in early 2018, and uh, we've got to deny China's ability to forcibly subordinate Taiwan through sort of a, a fait accompli uh, uh, attempt. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I think that things were were beginning to move in the right direction uh, over the past few years. And you know, even as there was much work being done, like you describe, in, in helping Taiwan move towards a new uh, approach to its defense, a more asymmetric approach, there was still this kind of residue of, of guidelines and informal restrictions on Taiwan's diplomatic and, and kind of general behavior vis-a-vis uh, -vis the U.S. government. You know, and and these, these could be things like restrictions on Ch Taiwanese military officers wearing their uniforms or restrictions on uh, whether flags could be flown at certain locations. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, when Secretary Pompeo changed the guidelines towards the end of his tenure to, to kind of bring about a more um, 
you know, standardized approach to Taiwan's uh, you know, diplomatic, diplomatic treatment in Washington. I'm curious how you, you saw that effort and uh, what, what you think that means going forward for kind of broader U.S.-Taiwan relations. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the guidelines that the State Department um, was operating, you know, state, state was operating on the guidelines that were decades old in some cases. And, and those guidelines were not anything that we agreed to with any government uh, in Beijing and Taipei. You know, it, these were sort of self-imposed guidelines uh, that uh, were unnecessarily restrictive um, and uh, so I, you know, I think I think it was uh, absolutely right. Dave Stilwell and and Secretary Pompeo and the, and the team over there at State um, uh, was right to say, look, it, it, you know, it, this is a sovereign matter for the United States of America to determine how we're going to uh, interact with our partners. And uh, uh, you know, there 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 are plenty of things that we can do within the construct of our our laws and our communiques. Uh, that don't fundamentally uh, alter, um, uh, you know, our foreign policy, but but take advantage of the fact that uh, we need to have um, uh, much better and more uh, uh, more regular working ties uh, to the, the people and government of Taiwan. One of the things that, um, you know, you, I was privileged uh, when you brought me on to do the Pacific Islands portfolio. One of the things I got to see firsthand was Beijing's attempt to deprive Taiwan of its diplomatic space, so to speak. And, and that was a concerted effort to take away their diplomatic allies down to 15 now. Um, what, you know, international, <clears throat> international organizations uh, is another place where, where Beijing has been very active trying to deny Taiwan uh, its space. The World Health Organization, uh, a place where, where Taiwan um, was excluded and uh, certainly in a pandemic environment that, that had real consequences. wonder if you could talk a little bit about where you see the opportunities for the Biden administration to work with Taiwan to expand that space and, and how you see some of the uh, interactions, particularly on the international organization side, playing out. Yeah, I mean, th there's nothing, you know, international organizations uh, have all sorts of, of, of members, right? I mean, the, the idea is uh, to, to benefit of humanity through the, the best participation of, of uh, you know every country that's that's willing to participate and every government that's willing to participate. In the case of Taiwan, you have uh, this sort of needless um, uh, blocking uh, by by the the by Beijing of of Taipei's participation in uh, the World Health Assembly, uh, and you know. <laughs> If, if the world had been listening to Taiwan carefully, um, we we might have uh, done better in, in in the early stages uh, around the world uh, of the COVID pandemic because Taiwan was quite uh, well attuned. They were one of the first, uh, if not the first, government to warn that there was a, a, a serious problem, and they they were also the government that responded most uh, most um, effectively. Uh, and and in a very generous kind of way, you know, they were they were, you know, it was kind of the polar opposite of Beijing. They were they were uh, where Beijing was closed and secretive. Uh, 
uh, Taipei was open and, uh, uh, and, and generous. So, you know, I, I think, I think all of humanity would have, would have, uh, benefited from Taiwan's, uh, active participation, uh, in, uh, uh, you know, in the world health organization, there's no room for, for politics, even geopolitics, uh, when, when we're talking about, uh, matters of, of life and death and, and really, you know, existential questions about, um, you know, uh, viruses that, that, uh, you know, have, have wrought as much damage as this one did. And by the way, viruses could, could have, this one could have even been worse. It may yet get worse, if, according to what we're reading about this new Delta Plus uh, variant and so forth. So um, I, I, I would like to see uh, um, uh, Taiwan as a, as a welcome partner uh, at the table. One of the things that's gotten a lot of media speculation, and, and this I think is across the board, but it's been particularly uh, particularly focused in the media on Taiwan policy, is whether there was a divergence uh, between the um, how President Trump himself and his administration viewed Taiwan. So the the narrative has been on the one hand the president. Didn't, didn't share the concern that, that you and folks like Ambassador O'Brien and Secretary Pompeo had about a strong relationship with, with Taiwan. Um, I'm curious, you know, did you feel that there was this, this kind of policy divergence between the president's views and, and your views and the views of, of senior people around you and then ultimately the policies that were implemented? No, I mean, our whole Indo-Pacific strategy, our national security strategy, uh, uh, generally, and the, and the sub-strategy for the Indo-Pacific were, were President Trump's strategies. These were strategies that he was briefed on, uh, that he asked a lot of questions about, uh, and, uh, and, and helped edit, and, and then signed and announced. I mean, he, he gave a speech at the Reagan building in December of uh, 2017, it was it was probably the quickest release of a national security strategy in uh, you know going back decades. Um, so I you know I I, I think that President Trump um, ha- had the benefit of uh, extensive conversations with with all of his cabinet and, and advisors uh, on on all the foreign policy matters that uh, that I got involved in during my four years at the White House. You know, he, he, President Trump is always very provocative, right? He'll ask a, he'll ask a question, sometimes a provocative question, and then, and then listen uh, to the debate. And, and he relished, um, you know, a, a, a plurality of views among his top advisors and, and uh, uh, would, would allow uh, people to argue uh, various sides of, of an issue. But, you know, if, if you look at what President Trump you know, the, to the extent that he spoke publicly about Taiwan, I think that his approach was consistent with, um, you know, the longstanding approach of the past four decades since we reestablished ties with, with uh, uh, or, you know, or established ties with the People's Republic of China. Um, he, he made clear that, um, uh, that, that this was not uh, um, something, uh, it was not a trifling matter. <laughs> it was something he took seriously. Uh, you know, he, he made a comment to the effect that, you know, China knows uh, what he would do in the event that, that China might uh, try something fateful. So um, I, I think I think that um, uh, the, the policy that he approved was the policy that we actually executed. 
Yeah. And just a couple more questions. I want to look towards the future and, and some things that we're dealing with now in U.S.-Taiwan relations, particularly on the economic side. President Trump and, and the administration we served in was never able to get a free trade agreement done. Uh, we've seen the commencement of, of TIFA discussions uh, in recent weeks. What's your sense of the likelihood of such an agreement getting done under the Biden administration? Yeah, you know, I I, I hope that uh, the Biden administration pursues uh, um, talks on deepening investment and trade uh, relations with Taiwan. I think I think it's to our benefit uh, strategically, but also just as a matter of uh, of trade. You know, I I, I think that that um, that. That we were unable to progress uh, over the four years was was in part, uh, or maybe even entirely, uh, a function of, uh, you know, uh, a, a uh, trade rep representative's office that that had a lot of experience years ago dealing with Taiwan and and feeling that that uh, Taiwan had been slow to make concessions that that in fact. You know, pound for pound, our, our uh, trade deficit was actually, you know, it, pretty pretty huge with Taiwan just on a, on on a uh, relative basis, and uh, and that um, you know they they didn't didn't want to prioritize that when we were we were working as an administration on the re- revamping the NAFTA agreement into the U.S. Uh, USMCA and. Uh, you know, we, we did a bilateral agreement with Japan, which is a major trade agreement, and revamped the Korea free trade agreement. So it wasn't prioritized, no doubt. I think the time now is ripe uh, to uh, to get involved. And of course, Taiwan has made some concessions, um, uh, you know, in the area of agriculture. They'd, they'd have to actually show that they would execute and make good on on those concessions. Uh, but but I think there's plenty of room and plenty of benefit. Uh, to, to begin engaging with Taiwan on, on trade. So we've, we've seen in the last uh, couple of weeks record incursions by Chinese aircraft into Taiwan's uh, uh, air defense identification zone. Um, and it's, it's just been growing over the last couple of months and, and doesn't show any sign of abatement. The question I think that on everyone's mind is what is the likelihood in the next five to 10 years of a decision being made in Beijing to take uh, actual military action to try and forcibly reunify, um, to forcibly unify Taiwan with the mainland. How, how do you assess that? Yeah, no, I, I think that the situation is um, uh, is getting dangerous, and um, uh, you know, Be- Beijing all of all of this military spending that I referenced. Uh, is going into equipment that is uh, not coincidentally designed to, uh, you know, uh, uh, conduct a, a an invasion of Taiwan and to threaten uh, the United States and Japan and, and other countries um, uh, to, to try to deter them from uh, getting involved uh, if if uh, if China were to take that fateful step. So I, I take it seriously. I've paid close attention to remarks that the Indo-Pacific, uh, the outgoing Indo-Pacific commander made, as well as the incoming <laughs> Indo-Pacific commander. Um, you know, if, they, if, if they're taking it seriously, uh, so, so should all of us. So should the government of Taiwan. So should the people of Taiwan. Um, uh, because, um, 
you know, this is this uh, government in Beijing is one that just over the course of 2020 attacked uh, India on its uh, on its border, uh, uh, you know, d- destroyed uh, the autonomy of, of Hong Kong uh, and is uh, actively undermining the rule of law there. Um, so this is a, you know, Beijing means business. And, um, and, and I, I think that the, the, the only answer that, uh, anyone should be looking for is how do we actually, um, attain capability that would help deter, um, a, uh, a, a fateful attack, uh, and, and allow, you know, d- diplomacy to, to uh, resume. Beijing really suspended their diplomacy uh, back in 2016. Um, it, after Tsai Ing-wen won her first term as, as, as president, and that was a, you know, it was a major milestone for Taiwan. That was the first time in history that, you know, the, uh, the opposition party uh, in Taiwan had gained simultaneous control of the presidency and the legislature. So um, Beijing's response to that was not to say, "Gee, I wonder why." <laughs> I wonder why um, the, the the DPP won in a landslide. Their answer was to say, "Okay, we're just going to suspend uh, all uh, all talks now. You know, all all, all of the." the uh you know the 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 official and unofficial uh sort of channels that that people have relied on uh across the strait that china allowed to go cold you remember her Tsai's president her predecessor was ma Yingzhou. he had he had you know great through great fanfare set up a hotline with beijing beijing simply stopped answering <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, hopefully, some some people in the United States who, who who get the the recurring bright idea that the most important thing we need to do is set up hotlines will uh, will will take notice on that one. You know, um, it's not that the phone doesn't work; it's that they don't want to answer. You know, so uh, <clears throat> so they've been giving Taiwan the silent treatment and and uh, you know applying these progressively uh, menacing. Um, uh, Exercises and uh, and economic and other other sort of coercive measures. Uh, I, I think I think we need to take it extremely seriously. I think that that uh, the the people of Taiwan need to understand how important it is uh, for them to um, uh, prepare as citizens, you know, as uh, members of a democratic society for uh, for the worst. Because the better prepared they are, the the less likely. They'll they'll be to have to actually uh, uh, fight. Well, Matt, I think that's a, a great note to to end on, and um, I think uh, I, I think we've got a lot in the years to come to to be thinking about in this relationship and and more broadly Taiwan's role uh, in the Indo Pacific. So I'm I'm very grateful to have you as my uh, my first guest on this podcast, and hope uh, you'll come back in the in the future. Yeah, congrats on on the new podcast and um, and uh, look forward to hearing uh, hearing more of them. <laughs>